Booker Tove, everybody. Shalom Lekem. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. Looking forward to some interesting, some good insights today. Baruch Hashem. It is the day before Thanksgiving here in the United States. Thanksgiving is, for those of you who live outside the country, outside the United States, may not be familiar. Thanksgiving is a an American holiday. It has to do with the founding of our country. It is a... Uh, not really. It's kind of a religious holiday, I guess. I mean, it is in the sense that we're giving thanks to God for our nation, but it's really a national holiday. It's not. It's not derived from from any uh, particular um, uh, what am I trying to say? It's not derived. Like you know, it, it's not. Doesn't come from Roman culture. or Viking culture or some other kind of crazy Celtic culture. It's actually just a an American holiday for those of you who are not familiar with it. And uh, it's kind of tradition to have a big meal with your family and give thanks to Hashem and uh, watch football, <laughs> basically. Uh, so anyway, we're not going to be, we will not have the Aliyah tomorrow, nor shall we have it on Friday. I'm going to take the next two days off and just use that time to prepare for the Shabbat and, frankly, for the upcoming holiday of uh, Hanukkah, because Hanukkah, Hanukkah begins uh, Sunday night. Sunday night will will uh, light the first uh, candle of the Hanukkah. So, we will not. This will be our last Aliyah of the week as we're getting ready for uh, the holidays here in Los Estados Unidos. Uh, again, for those of you outside the United States, it's, you don't know what's going on. Generally, probably not, but uh, that's what's happening here. In America, so everything's kind of shut down right now. So, you know, schools are out and a lot of stores are, or businesses are closed. People are out of, off work, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, that's what's happening in our world. So I want to, um, I want to share some highlights. We've been talking about Joseph and the, the Messiah Ben Joseph. We talked about the two Messiahs. Uh, Messiah, according to Jewish uh, thought, the Messiah is supposed to come and suffer and die for our sins. Some say die in battle and then be resurrected Mashiach ben David, the, the ruling and reigning Messiah. This is 100% Jewish uh, fact. Now, I want to say something I've said before, and usually it catches people off guard. They're like, what? But um, I want to be crystal clear, okay? How many of you have heard of the anti-missionaries? Anybody? Anti-missionaries? You know what that means? If you, if you know what anti-missionary refers to, say say something in the chat. Anybody? Anybody? I'll wait for a second here in case anybody wants to type. There's a little bit of a delay. It's anti-missionary. What is an anti-missionary? Anybody know? Anybody at, at all? Anybody at all? Kathy does not know. Castaneda. Castaneda. Am I pronouncing that right? Castaneda. Shoshana Keith. Against Christianity spread to Judaism. Yeah, that's true. So an anti-missionary refers to a Jewish organization, a Jewish group. There's actually formal, like Jews for Judaism is probably the most 
most prominent. Um, oh, great. I, I got it right, Kathy. Great. Uh, so <clears throat> anti-missionaries are Jewish, Orthodox Jewish people who refute that, and this is important for you to know, and I'm, I'm going to use the, the proper lingo here. They refute that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus. They uh, approach their um, opposition from a purely Christian uh, a purely Christian point of view. Uh, yeah, FFOZ is not at all linked to Jews for Judaism. FFOZ is a totally messianic uh, group. has nothing at all to do with the Jews for Judaism. Um, but anyway, uh, they approach it from a completely Christian point of view. So in refuting Jesus, key word there, they refute Jesus uh, using Christian um, concepts and stuff, okay? They're not refuting Yeshua, although they don't believe in Yeshua, you know, of course. My point is, is that you, an anti-missionary won't last very long in a discussion slash debate with somebody who actually approaches Yeshua, the Jewish practicing Jewish Messiah, from Jewish a Jewish point of view, anti missionary doesn't have much of a chance there. Um, but when it comes to refuting the Christian version of Jesus, uh, an anti missionary will eat your lunch. Uh, it's like. Mike Tyson boxing a first-year Golden Gloves, uh, you know, boxer. Um, Anti-missionaries chew pastors up, PhDs in theology, chew them up, spit them out, and, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's ugly. And here's why. <clears throat> First of all, the Christian idea is that everything about the Messiah can be found in the Bible. That is not at all true. In, in, in fact, pretty much nothing about the Messiah can be found in the Bible. Now, me saying that catches a lot of people off guard. They're like, what? How can you say that, Rabbi? Can't you read Isaiah 53? Can't you? Don't you see in the Torah where it says a prophet like me, blah, blah, blah. Ladies and gentlemen, we read into those texts. We have been trained to read into them based on the interpretations of them given from the Gospels and sometimes from the letters of the Apostles. However, when you read the text itself on a Peshat level, it's not there. This is important for you to know because this is how anti-missionaries eat the lunch, steal the lunch money, and beat the, the dickens out of Christians. 
because they'll say, well, show me that in the Bible, and the Christian will hop along Cassidy to the particular text, and the anti-missionary will read it in Hebrew, which that's already, you're getting punched in the mouth, and basically show you where that is not at all what it says, and the Christian is left like, what? And one thing they talk about is the Messiah, you know, where does it say the Messiah is going to die for your sin? Where does it say to any in the Bible, where does it say anybody can die for your sins? Where does it say that? Where does it say that... Uh, that the Messiah is going to, you know, if the Messiah comes where, you know, he hasn't fulfilled all, he hasn't brought world peace. He hasn't fulfilled the dream of every Miss America candidate. So where does it say that? And of course they'll say, you know, that Jesus didn't do that. And so, um, and the Christian is left going, and then they'll start getting desperate and trying to quote Paul. And of course, you know, Paul's not the Bible. You got to stick with the Bible here. And so, um, Anyway, it's, it's a disaster. Here's why I bring this up. Nothing at all, to quote my friends in Jamaica, nothing at all about the Mashiach that we believe as Jews is found in the Tanakh. It comes as a shock to a lot of people. In fact, if you believe in the Messiah at all, then you are a Pharisee. Some people say, I don't know if the Messiah was a Pharisee. Uh, did he believe that the Son of Man was the Messiah? Yeah, he's a Pharisee. You don't need any more proof than that. If he believed and taught that there would be a Messiah, at all, then that makes him a Pharisee, you see. Everything about the Mashiach is found in the oral law, everything, to include the Messiah suffering for our sins. Okay? And so, everything about Isaiah, like Isaiah 53, an anti-missionary will tell you, Isaiah 53 does not say anything about the Mashiach, and it doesn't. However, the Zohar does. When the Zohar is interpreting Isaiah 53, it's talking about the Mashiach. When the Midrash Rabbah is interpreting Isaiah 53, it's talking about the Mashiach. When it mentions Isaiah 53 in the Talmud, it's talking about the Mashiach. But you can't prove that by just using the word of God only. This is what I'm trying to tell you. The idea of two Messiahs, the Messiah who comes first and then leaves and comes back, those are all found in the oral Torah only. That's what I'm trying to tell you. All of these concepts that we talk about are found only in the Torah. In fact, let me, let me put it like this as another way. And this is something I've said before, and it's worth mentioning again. Um, and that is that... Uh, People say, I'm word of God only, and I only want to follow the Torah literally, and I don't want anything to do with those rascally rabbis and all of that Talmud nonsense and all that Midrash Rabbah nonsense. That's just the teachings of men. And need I remind you, by the way, those very same guys who wrote all that stuff down 
are the very same ones who gave you the Bible and said this is the Word of God. I need you to understand that so clearly. The people that gave you your Bible and said this is the Bible are the same people who wrote the oral law. Selah. But anyway, so you want to be word of God only. I'll say you, I'm not talking to the, you guys who are listening. Although there might be somebody here who's listening. You never know who who, chi- who, who tunes in to our program here. Uh, but you, you want to be word of God only. Okay. Here is El Problemo. El Problemo Numero Uno. Isn't that terrible Spanish? <laughs> Spanish speakers are like, what are you doing, Rabbi? You know, you know how to speak Spanish. I know. I'm being stupid. But listen. El Problemo Numero Uno is this. The Torah tells us that um, a, a, a Moabite cannot join the congregation of Israel. And please remember that... that a, a Jewish man is forbidden by Torah law, forbidden to marry a non-Jewish woman, period. So contrary to what a lot of Messies, Annex teach, Ruth had to be a Jewess. She had to convert. Otherwise, Boaz could not have married her. It would be a violation, a significant violation of Torah law. In fact, today on the Jewish calendar, is the day upon which Ezra told the people to put away their non-Jewish wives and their children, because the children are illegitimate as well, since they married non-Jewish women. That comes from Ezra, what is it, 8 and 9, eight or 8 through 10, I think, of the three chapters that, that start to get into that. That is today. That's the, that's the uh, it's kind of interesting to bring this up. That is the um, historical event of today. But anyway, let's go back to this. So to join the congregation means to marry into the congregation, to become a part of the congregation. A Moabite, according to the strict reading of the Torah, is not allowed to do that, period. There's nowhere in the Bible anywhere that allows that, which means if you are word of God only and you reject the oral Torah, you it is an impossibility to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Moreover, if you're word of God only and you reject the oral Torah, you don't believe in those stupid Talmud or stupid Midrash or stupid Zohar or stupid rabbis. It is impossible for you to believe that David is king of Israel. You say, but rabbi, it's written in the prophets. Right. How did they get there? Because remember, the Torah forbids a Moabite from joining Israel. Ruth can't join Israel. She's a Moabite. So how is it that David is king of Israel? It's against the Torah. Answer, oral Torah. That's how. Without it, you can't believe that David is king because it's a total violation. So according to the oral Torah, what happened was, is Doeg, who was the head of the Sanhedrin, at the time was saying, nope, David's not king. He's not even a Jew. Because the Torah says you can't bring a Moabite into the uh, community. 
Samuel brought down the oral Torah that says it, you can bring in a female Moabite, but not a male. And so there you go. So everything that we believe about Yeshua come, or about the Messiah in general, Yeshua in particular, comes from the oral Torah. So if you, this is where anti-missionaries eat the lunch of the, uh, the person who believes in Jesus. Or for that matter, the Hebrew roots person who doesn't believe in oral Torah or whatever. This is where they eat the lunch is because uh, you're trying to prove it from the scriptures and you can't. You just can't, right? Let's look at some other things, right? As we're looking at the oral Torah as it relates to this situation of Joseph, we're going to find some very striking um, <laughs> Portuguese. I wish I could speak Portuguese. Somebody wants to hear my Portuguese. Um, yeah, that's funny. So anyway, let's look at some other things here um, as it relates to Joseph and see from the oral Torah the pattern, right? Because we look at patterns and precedents. Everything happens with the forefathers of the portent for the son. So it says here, they considered, or excuse me, uh, they conspired. This is from chapter 37 and verse 18. They conspired against him to kill him. Okay. It says here in the commentary to this, this is from Rabbi Monk's commentary, actually. They sought a way to bring about his death by trickery. Now pay attention to this, please. They sought a way to bring about his death by trickery without having to shed his blood themselves. Let us get dogs after him. But when he came towards them and they realized they had failed to do this, they said to another, come now, let us kill him. Now, what's important about this is that this is why the brothers sold him into slavery. They did not want to kill him themselves. They definitely wanted him to die. Okay. But they didn't want to be the ones to kill him. So they sold him into slavery ultimately because they figured, first of all, we don't want to kill him. If we sell him into slavery, he's as good as dead. Plus, he'll probably end up getting killed anyway because that's kind of what happens to slaves. And, and on top of that, let's make a little money. Now, the reason this is relative is because, irrelevant rather, is because that's exactly what happened to Yeshua. We, the Jewish people, didn't want to kill him ourselves. So we sold him, as it were, to the Romans and let them do it. So the blood is, we can say, look, blood's not on my hands. We didn't actually kill him. We rejected him, but we didn't actually kill him. So in, ver in, in verse 20, it says, and let us kill him. It says, the brothers felt it. Listen to this. Again, these are all insights about Joseph, and, you, and I want you to connect, and I know, I know you are, but I just want to remind you, connect the dots. Take this pattern, take this template, overlay it on the Gospels, and you'll see pretty much the exact thing going on. This is why the study of the oral Torah is important. Okay? 
So it says the brothers felt it perfectly justified to pronounce a death sentence on Joseph. They considered him guilty of slander, tailbearing, and giving false witness. Isn't that pretty much what they say about Yeshua? You're, they didn't like what he was saying, basically. So Rashi, he had denounced, Rashi brings down, he had denounced his brothers, bringing an evil report of them to his father, saying, they ate flesh, torn over the living animal, they humiliated the sons of the bondwoman and called them slaves. They are suspected of immorality, and Joseph will be cor- correspondingly punished on these three accounts. So he, they're saying, look, he said bad things about us to the father. So isn't this what Yeshua basically is doing? He's he's saying, hey, y'all are hypocrites. You're, uh, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He didn't say beware of the Pharisees. So this is where we have to pay attention to what the Messiah said. And sometimes we have to pay attention to what he didn't say. You know, he said, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What does leaven represent, ultimately? Leaven represents, someone say, sin. No, that's very important, right? Leaven does not represent sin. It does not represent sin. Leaven represents pride, that which puffs up. It's very important because if you say, well, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, that means beware of the sin of the Pharisees. Uh Uh-uh. No. Why? Because the Pharisees, remember in another place, he said that those who are well don't need a doctor. And he's referring to the Pharisees. So therefore, what does he say? He doesn't say beware of the sin of the Pharisees. He says beware of the pride of the Pharisees. And here's where we all have to be careful. Because as we grow in knowledge and we grow in understanding and we grow in a spiritual walk, we all run the risk of pride. And our pride can manifest in a number of ways. One of the ways it can manifest is we just get so heavenly minded, we forget who we're trying to reach. We we, we forget to reach. (laughs) We stop caring about reaching people. Altogether. That's one of the ways we manifest. But he said, be careful of the pride of the Pharisees. And that's very important. They could interpret that to mean, look, you're bringing a bad report about us to the Father. goes on to say, but another opinion suggests that Joseph's brothers considered him a usurper. Isn't that exactly what we thought about Yeshua as well? He's a usurper. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? He didn't didn't go to the best yeshivas. He's going to be king? They looked upon Judah as the brother predestined by his qualities to found the future royal tribe. And they were even they were ready rather even to accept him as the head, as the chief, as the king. Now through his dreams and words Joseph had shown his intention of taking over as head of the family. 
Thus he went against the others and seriously threatened the peace and harmony of the family and of the future of Abraham's descendants. So this goes back to, look, we don't want Messiah ben Yosef. We want Messiah ben David. And in Yeshua's time, there was a bunch of different sects. And one of the things was, is that, look, we don't, they, they wanted Rome defeated. They viewed Rome uh, as their big enemy. But in fact, the big enemy, unbeknownst to them, was the sin that was keeping us captive. See, ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't Rome that was keeping us captive. It was our own sin. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people think that when we went to Egypt, that we were just, we were, they think that somehow the Egyptians came with nets and chains and, you know, captured us, drug us out of our huts and threw us into the mud pits. That's not exactly, that's not at all what happened. We allowed ourselves to become enslaved to the Egyptian culture. As the sages point out, we actually became idolaters in Egypt. If you think about it, why were we in Egypt to begin with? We were in Egypt because of the famine. We were in Egypt because our brother was a king, man. I mean, we had it good. Our bro is like the viceroy of Egypt here. And we were given the land of Goshen, which has the same gematria as Mashiach. The land was beautiful. It was spacious. It was plush. We had everything we wanted. Our brother was in command of the entire empire. I mean, come on. So when Jacob died, we all, all of us together marched him back to Israel and buried him in Machpelah. The famine was over. Why didn't we go home? Our brother was in charge. We could have left. He he wouldn't have stopped us. After our brother passed away, why didn't we go home? Why did we choose to stay in Egypt? And the sages bring down in the oral Torah that we enslaved ourselves in Egypt. What about Rome? Rome took over Israel without firing a shot. We were in the midst of an internal conflict with each other, and we invited the Romans to come and to mediate the conflict. And when they showed up, they decided, you know what? We're just going to take it. And they just took it. We invited them in. Rome took, took control of Israel. We had sovereign control, you understand. Ever since Hanukkah, we had had our own kingship in Israel, and we were in control. And we were having an internal conflict, a pretty, pretty violent one, a civil war, if you will. And we invited the Romans to come and help us kind of settle it. And when they showed up, they just decided to stay. We allowed the Romans, they did not take Israel through military force. Just like Egypt did not take us through coercion. We opened the door to sin and we became slaves. 
And that's what Yeshua came to conquer. But sometimes we don't want Messiah ben Yosef. We want Messiah ben David. We don't want the Messiah who suffers and dies for our sins. We just want the benefit of rule. And God says you can't have the benefit of the rule until you deal with your sin. A lot of people want all the blessings and all the things about Judaism, but they don't want to make Yeshua their Messiah. First of all, Yeshua has to be your suffering Messiah first before he can be your reigning king. And a lot of people get don't understand that. You have to allow Messiah to be your suffering Messiah, which means you have to die with him in order to be resurrected with him and to rule and reign with him. Now it goes on to say, Sforno points out, or points rather, to the gematrial form of the phrase, Vayit Nachlu Oto. This means, he says, that they considered him Nochel, a man of cunning who had evil intentions. They thought he was planning to cause their moral downfall through some type of trickery. So they were speaking all kinds of blasphemy against Joseph, and they were therefore justifying they were justifying killing him or or selling him into slavery. Now it goes on to say this, and this is also a very a very telling statement. And this mindset persists today. It says, When they passed the death sentence on their brother, the sons of Jacob were convinced that they were acting in legitimate self-defense. They remained convinced of their right, and for many years afterwards, they felt that they deserved reproach not for the deed of turning on him, but only from the manner in which they carried it out and for their lack of pity. See, they weren't sorry. They, Ladies and gentlemen, the, the insights tell us that this was true even, even up and until the day that Yosef revealed himself to them. They still felt like what they did was the right thing. They just didn't do it in the right way. And again... That's telling. That's in, that's a, we could take that template and overlay it onto the, the gospel of Yeshua and see the exact same pattern. I could also bring down from Mamloez. I'm just going to just tell you this quickly uh, because of the sake of time. Mamloez brings down a, a lengthy story, the back story about how all, all this uh, took place. They sold him to the, Ish, to the Mennonites and the Mennonites sold him to the Ishmaelites. And these people beat and abused Joseph. Just like when we sold into the Romans, they beat the Messiah and abused him. All of that, of course, is, is part of the pattern. And one final thing. So in order to cover up... So first of all, in the prophets, it talks about Again, it's interpreted through the lens of the Messiah, but basically it talks about that when our Redeemer shows up, he'll be wearing a vesture dipped in blood. Why does it say that? It says that because 
When the brothers had betrayed Yosef, they wanted to have an alibi. They wanted to take something back to their father and say, not us, we didn't do it, an animal did it. So they took his garment, which had been the garment of Adam, and they dipped that garment in blood, and they took it back to the father and said, is this not the garment of your son? Obviously, he was devoured by wild beasts. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why Yeshua, when he returns as Messiah ben David, he, that's why he will be wearing a vesture dipped in blood, because it follows the pattern of the Messiah who had been betrayed by his brothers. He will be wearing the garment of Adam dipped in blood, and this is why we'll look upon him and mourn as one looks upon their brother. End of our Aliyah today. Todah for being with me this week. Again, we'll not have the Aliyah tomorrow or the next day because of the holiday of Thanksgiving. But we will be here together, God willing, for the uh, Shabbat. And I want to wish you a Shabbat Shalom. Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah is, of course, as I said, coming up. Uh, the first light is lit on Sunday night, and so we'll be enjoying all that. Please remember to be faithful with your giving uh, here to Lapid Judaism at the Sarsalem Synagogue. Use the text to give, call the office, use the portal uh, to give online, but just be faithful in your giving. It's important for all of us to be faithful in our giving and not to be slack in that because without your faithful support, we cannot do what we do uh, each and every day here. It's important for you to be a part of that. And we thank you for being a part of that. And I thank you for your generosity. And I thank you for your faithfulness. It's very, very inspiring and very important. I'm asking you from me to you to be sure to do that. So Shalom Aleichem, everybody. Look forward to seeing you again on the Holy Shabbat. Shalom Aleichem, Shabbat Shalom, and happy Thanksgiving to all of you.